You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. We're in a series called By Faith. And why is it beneficial for you and I to live by faith? Well, we're looking in Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament where the author's writing about people in the Old Testament and he's writing about their faith, their journey of faith. And it's almost like this hall of heroes, if you will, of people that in the New Testament, they're pointing backwards and saying, these people in their very real lives, in their very impossible situation, in their normal existence, chose to live by faith And God is pleased with that. He honors that. And so we have to understand what faith is. And in Hebrews 11, beginning with verse 1, it says this. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not. Help me out here. We don't see it, right? Because if you see it, it's not faith. So you're saying, God, I'm putting my confidence in you. Have you ever seen God? Have you ever seen heaven? You're looking forward to a city that he will build. And so the author of Hebrews starts at the beginning of time where God spoke the universe into existence by his word. And then he begins walking us through the faith of very real people. People like Abel, then Enoch, then Noah, then Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and now Moses. Moses. And Hebrews 11 verse 23 says this, By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months, After he was born, because they saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. We say, well, that's great. I have no idea what we're talking about here. And Moses was born a Hebrew in a time when the Hebrew people were enslaved by Egypt. See, Joseph and his brothers had, in a sense, fled down to Egypt and found shelter there during a time of famine. Well, they stayed, and they they had land in the land called Goshen, and they went on, and they began to increase greatly in number, and 400 years went by, and all of a sudden, these Hebrews who came down and just found that the Delta region of the Nile was a nice place to settle down, they exploded in number, and over those years, finally, Pharaoh said, I'm going to enslave these people. They're not Egyptians, they're Hebrews, and so we're going to enslave them. So now they're becoming numerous, so numerous, and they're slaves. I mean, I think if you want to know who had a hand in building a lot of the pyramids, you might ask some Hebrew slaves, and they might tell you some stories. That basically these grow incredibly in number, and so Pharaoh is saying, you know what? They're almost too numerous. They're going to overrun us. And so what he did is he declared an edict that baby boys two and under were to be drowned in the Nile River, but the girls can stay alive. Hey, girl power. Right? Not a good thing if you're a baby boy. So here a woman and her husband have a boy, a baby. They name him Moses. And they keep him quiet for three months, but after three months, they just can't hide that they have a little toddler, a little baby anymore. And so Moses' mom weaves a basket and coats it with pine, well, with pitch. And then she floats it in the river like maybe if I, instead of drowning him in the river, if I float him in the river, maybe something will happen. And so she sends her daughter, follow along, follow along with the basket, see what happens. And so the basket's floating down the river and the daughter's following along and seeing what's happening. And the basket floats right down to where Pharaoh's daughter is bathing. And she finds the basket. She's like, what's in here? And she opens it up. And there's a little baby, and instantly she realizes, this is a little baby boy that was born to the Hebrews. And she says, I know what my, you know, what Pharaoh decided, but I want to keep this. 
And so the sister says, hey, hey, would you like me to find one of the Hebrew ladies who could nurse the baby for you? Because she didn't have a baby. And the Pharaoh's daughter is like, perfect, problem solved, great idea, do that. So what does she do? She goes back, gets, uh, gets Moses' own mother to nurse her baby. And then when the time came for him to be weaned, which at that time before refrigeration could be three to four years, she then relinquished her baby to be Pharaoh's daughter's child, and he was raised in the courts in royalty in Egypt. See, the parents thought that he was no ordinary child, and let me just say, I think most parents think their kid is no ordinary kid, right? (laughs) We love our kids, and yet could you imagine relinquishing that, and you're like, how could How could that happen? How could Pharaoh demand that little babies be killed? We of all people should know. Herod, at the time of Jesus' birth, demanded the same thing. This is not new in the history of humanity. But Moses is no ordinary child, and God's got a plan for his life. Now, I want to ask you a question. When you think of Moses, because maybe you've seen cartoons right before, and maybe you've seen like, you know, maybe it was the far side. I always remember this far side cartoon of Moses. He's a little child. He's sitting at the breakfast table. He's got his bowl of cereal. He's sticking his finger in it, and the milk is parted, (laughs) right? Maybe you've seen that. So so when you think of Moses, help me out here. When you think of Moses' life, what comes to mind for you? Help me out. Okay, the burning bush. He sees this bush that's being on fire and it's being burnt and and it's not consumed. It's not going up in smoke. It's a weird brush fire. It's not spreading, but this one bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And God in that moment speaks to him from the burning bush and says, Moses, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. So he sees the evidence of God burning in this bush and he takes his shoes off. He knows that this is a spiritual moment. What else? When you think of Moses, what else? What are big deals about Moses? Okay, the plagues, awesome, right here. Somebody said plagues, like the 10 plagues. This is a big deal. If you have not read Exodus 7 through 11, then you don't understand what the plagues are. He goes from where he is, he goes to Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth who everybody thinks is a god, and he tells them, you gotta let these Hebrew slaves go, and if you don't, God's gonna send plagues, and Pharaoh keeps changing his mind, so there are 10 plagues, blood, all the waters become blood, so they can't even get water from the Nile River, they have to dig nearby it and let it seep down so that the sands filter the water, and then they can get water to drink, but all these waters turn to blood, so you've got blood, you've got frogs, gnats, flies, plague, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and then death of all the firstborn of Egypt. The plagues. I mean, if you don't know about the plagues, it's some of the greatest reading in the Bible. You need, you say, God, where should I read in the Bible this week? It is Exodus 7 through 11. It's pretty easy to remember, 7-11, right? So just read that this week and like go deeper to, to walk along with the life of Moses and see what God would do. What else? What else happened? He went up on a mountain and what happened? Oh, he, he did murder someone. What was that? Oh, yeah, he murdered somebody and he ran. And this is how it happened. Like, here he is. He's an Egyptian royalty and he wanders down to where all the slaves are and he sees a slave being beaten by, uh, he sees a slave being beaten by an Egyptian slave owner and he intervenes and he defends the guy and he ends up killing the Egyptian slave owner, right? 
So in that moment, he defends him. And you think that the slaves would be happy. All right, we got to rescue her. No, they're not happy. You're going to make things harder on us. The next day, he goes down. He sees two Hebrews fighting. He breaks them up. Hey, guys, you're both Hebrews. I'm like a Hebrew. We're Hebrews. And he breaks them up. You shouldn't be fighting each other. And they say, oh, are you going to kill us too like you did that Egyptian? And all of a sudden, he realized that he's now a wanted man. And he runs away. Absolutely. What else do we know about him? He, he went to Pharaoh and he said, let my people, what? Let my people go. And some of you are scratching your heads. You're like, I thought that was Charlton Heston. <laughs> and the young people in the room are like kind of rolling their eyes a little bit. They're kind of laughing at you and they're saying, obviously, that was the prince of Egypt, <laughs> right? And no, it's not Hollywood. It's a real man who named Moses and that's what he did. And after he had beat this guy to death, and after he had done it, God called him. And the burning bush happened. And God said, I have heard the cries of my Hebrew people. And I'm raising you up to answer the prayers of the Hebrew people who want freedom from their slavery. And I'm calling you in that moment. But here's the amazing thing. That's the highlight reel of Moses' life. But in Hebrews chapter 11, talking about Moses' faith, I want you to know that none of Moses' highlight reel makes it into Hebrews 11. And I think that's an important truth for us. We always want to show where we're strong, what God did amazing things, and so it's our highlight reel. And God is saying that faith happens in secret, oftentimes behind the scenes in the private way. And if you're taking notes today, write this down. You are not your highlight reel. You're not your highlight reel. In fact, sometimes the way to glory is the road of disgrace. You want to experience the good and the glory, and we think that'd be awesome, but sometimes the path, the road that leads to glory is through, is on the road of disgrace. It was for Moses. It was for Jesus, the suffering servant. Here's why you need this sermon. You can be people who look at your future reward and you begin to live for what really matters. By faith, you can endure disgrace. If you live with faith, you can put up with a lot of stuff and you can put up with a lot of opposition and you can put up in many ways with a world gone wild and God's gonna show you where to step up or not. But if you live by faith, you're not just looking at this life and what you have right now and that your things that you have, they have you. Instead, when you live by faith, you are saying, I am living one life interrupted by death and what a, how I live now makes a difference into eternity. You're living by faith. So let's look at this chapter together. Hebrews 11, verse 24 through 29. And I'm just going to read it to you and then I'll unpack some of these verses in a moment. It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, Refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. And by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And by faith, he kept the Passover and the application of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. 
I want to talk with you today about six truths we can learn from the faith of Moses. Number one, your identity in Christ overrides your family history, your adopted family background, or your social status. Doesn't matter economically which class you were born. Doesn't matter what state is your home state. It doesn't matter who your family is. It doesn't matter who your family history is. It doesn't matter what the generational sins have been in your family because God has uniquely called you away from those things to associate with being the people of God. Hebrews eleven twenty four by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He's saying... I could have all the rights and privileges, but I'm choosing to not be a part of that privilege. I'm choosing to associate with the people of God, who he really is. He's not Pharaoh's daughter, honestly. He understands who he is, and it took faith for him to walk away from all the riches, to walk away from all the privilege, to be in the kingdom of God. And God has chosen you to change your family history why you? I mean, there's lots of people in your family. But why would God chose you, choose you to be able to extend his grace to that you might come to know who he is and experience the forgiveness of your sins and walk now in the kingdom of God? Why has God chosen you to change the course of family dysfunction? Why has God chosen you to give you tools that your parents and other generations didn't have? Why has God chosen you among all the people of your family because he looks at you and he says, you're no ordinary child. Even if your life has not been extraordinary, he loves you, he created you. By grace, he has called you through faith to himself. He's pulled you, in a sense, from the river of condemnation and you've been adopted into the family of God. He's the one who lifted you out of the waters. He's the one who saw you when you were young. He's the one who knows you even now. He loves you. So your identity in Christ overrides your family history, your adopted family background, or your social status. Next, by faith you choose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I couldn't in this point say it better than the scriptures. It describes it so well. Speaking of Moses, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting or the temporary, right, pleasures of sin. Nobody likes being mistreated. I mean, it's absolutely going to take faith to walk in a new way. It's going to take faith to walk out of what everybody else is doing. It's going to take faith to walk away from the pleasures of sin that our entire culture seems to want to enjoy. It's going to take faith like it did for Moses to walk back into a place where your face is on a wanted poster. To walk back in and tell the man that everybody thinks is God, that the God you saw in a burning bush wants to have all the Hebrew people let go. By the way, that's their free slave labor, right? I want your entire workforce to be freed. Not even in a minimum wage. He didn't fight for rights of the employees. What he did is he basically just said, I want them to go. And Pharaoh kept refusing. It's going to take faith to walk back into the place where people remember you and remember your mistakes. It's going to take faith for you to walk back into your family who know it all about you and won't let it go. It's going to take faith for you to come out to your social group as a Christian. What? Those people are crazy. 
They're kind of nuts. What are you, you're going to be one of them? Are you serious? It's going to take faith. You're going to be mistreated. Nobody likes being mistreated, but you're going to choose to be mistreated along with the people who call themselves the people of God rather than enjoy all the things that everybody else is doing. It's going to take faith. Living by faith always brings you to a decision point, doesn't it? Will you embrace your identity in Christ, even though it means being misunderstood and persecuted and mistreated? Are you going to embrace that? When other people will mock or laugh or they'll hate you or they'll write you off or they'll marginalize you or put a glass ceiling above your head? It always comes to a decision point. Will you reject the temporary pleasures of your pride and your flesh in order to follow Jesus and obey his ways? With whom will you stand? Well, by faith, you can please God. But I want you to write this down. Pleasing God often means displeasing people. Are you going to please God? Well, then it means you're going to displease some people. I think Pharaoh was happy about this adopted son coming back and rejecting everything you could offer to him. Can't buy him off. Might like to arrest him, but you just can't. Pleasing God often means displeasing people. Let me ask you, why do you need a circle group? Because I don't think you're going to make it on your own. Like if you just think, I'm just going to have faith, but I'm not going to gather with the people of God. And see, that's what Moses did. He chose to be associated with the people. He didn't say, hey, I'm a Hebrew and I'm all about Hebrew rights. No, he actually said, I'm with the people. I want to be with them. And so what's going to happen is I'm going to be with the people of God. And I think there's a lot of people in our culture who are like to say, hey, I'm a Christian, but I'm just going to go it alone. I might go to church on the weekend, but I'm not going to be involved in the circle. And I think life is going to squeeze you and you're going to need other people to prop you up and encourage you and hold you when you're going through the rough parts of life. Moses chose to be with the people of God, and you're going to encourage them. They're going to encourage you. You're going to make memories together. You're going to have experiences together. You're going to break down walls and be real with yourself and with God and now with others. And then what's going to happen is this. When life comes and squeezes you, you've already got trust built up. You've already got experiences built up. You've got memories. You've got people around you who will say, we'll step up and walk with you through this, whatever it takes. We live in a culture where people are like, I just, I just don't like organized religion. I just believe in God. And so I'm going to be a God follower, but I'm just not going to be in a group called the church. And I think at the end of the thing, God's going to say, why did you not be with my people? In fact, is it, are you really the people of God? Because everything we see in scripture is the people of God gather together to worship him. The people of God do life together. Number three on your outline is this. Cultural disgrace and persecution are endurable when you look ahead to your reward. Man, you can go through a lot of things if you can look ahead and know that you're going to come out of it, right? Hebrews eleven twenty six says, He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. You say, what reward? Well, Moses is saying, God made a promise to my forefather Abraham 
that he's going to make him a great nation, that all nations will be blessed through him. And so I, in my life situation, in my generation right now, I'm going to claim the promise that God made to Abraham, and I'm going to look ahead. I'm going to believe God and that promise, that covenant promise. I'm going to believe it, and so I'm going to play my part in the story until we see that fruition. And listen, you can put it with a lot of disgrace if you look ahead to your reward The battle's always won in the mind. What you focus on enables you to endure disgrace because you know and you're convinced of a God who rewards those who seek him. That there is a reward. So let me ask, what what reward are you going to go for? Are you going to go for the treasures of America? Treasures of Egypt? Or are you going to look ahead to the kingdom of God and that reward that's there? It makes a big difference in how we live. Suddenly things don't have quite the hold on us. We now leverage things and look ahead to our reward. And they lose the power that they used to hold over us. We begin to walk with God in a way and we say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to say cultural disgrace and persecution, they're endurable when you look ahead to your reward. In fact, this isn't just an Old Testament idea. It's not just something that Moses did in the Old Testament that other people like didn't know about. In fact, what we see is even in the New Testament, there were some of the apostles and they got arrested and they got arrested by the Sanhedrin and the Sanhedrin were like, we want to kill these guys. That's how bad, like, it's like we did to Jesus. We want to kill these guys too. And they're so mad at them. And then one of the guys stood up and said, hey, wait, wait. let's let calmer heads prevail. He said, there was an uprising with this guy who kind of started a false religion and And it went away. It amounted to nothing. And that happened also with this other person. And so he says this. Listen, if these guys, if these guys are a false religion, they're going to just die off. Just calm our heads. But if they're from God, then we will only be fighting against God. So the rest of the Sanhedrin kind of begrudgingly go, okay, all right, whatever. Well, we're going to have them tortured. We're going to flog them. So they strap them to a post and they whip them a bunch of times and then they send them out. And they're disgraced. They've got marks on their bodies because of their faith in Jesus Christ. But this is what Acts chapter 5 verse 41 says. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. What name? The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus Christ. Listen, some of you work in industries where the name of Jesus Christ will bring instant disgrace. And yet they chose themselves with rejoicing that they would be counted worthy to suffer disgrace. Not because they did something disgraceful, but because Jesus, who took all of our pain and our sin and our disgrace on the cross, that we're counted worthy to suffer in some of the same ways for him, that we walk the road to suffering because the road to suffering and the road to disgrace is often the road to glory, real glory and real reward. Number four in your outline, by faith, you can be free from fearing powerful people because you respect the unseen God. You begin to see people as people. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, speaking of Moses, it says, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. Have you seen God? Have I seen God? But by faith, we believe that there's God. We, by faith, we believe that he saves. By faith, we say that he will reward someday. And so we're following the one who's invisible. And when you begin to look at the God who created the universe, I'm telling you, like, powerful people just kind of suddenly just become people. 
You begin to see people as people, not as Pharaoh, God of Egypt. Begin to see people as people. And I want you to know that there'll be certain times that you'll walk back in and it's tough. You might walk back into your parents and they've got that parent thing with you that you're just like, they're always my parents. I just feel like this power thing or whatever with them. And, and you're willing to endure disgrace or their rejection or their mockery or their misunderstanding because you choose to be with the people of God. And whatever it is, you begin to have compassion. You're no longer fighting against them or their rejection of you. You're now saying, God, in compassion, I have compassion for them because they just, their eyes are shielded. They're blinded. They just don't know. They're just people. Faith will help you see people as people. Number five, by faith you can obey God's instructed sacraments of baptism and communion. You might be asking, Dave, how in the world did you just get that from Hebrews 11? Let me tell you. Hebrews eleven twenty eight, speaking of Moses, by faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. And let me describe this for you for a moment that they were instructed that the final plague was going to be that God's wrath was going to break out. The destroyer, the angel of death, was going to come and take all the firstborn unless you gave a holy and right sacrifice of an animal and you took the blood of that animal and you splattered it on the door frames and on the windows of your house. And what would happen then is, as the angel of death would come over your neighborhood, they would look and see that you've got the blood splattered, you've made sacrifice, the blood is splattered on your door frames and your windows, and he would pass over you and continue on his mission. It's called the Passover. And subsequently, Jewish people have celebrated time and again the Passover of God's wrath and the freedom of people from slavery in Egypt. And they call it Passover. Maybe you've heard of Passover. Now you know what it's all about. They passed over, but when the angel of death came to Egypt, none of them would be believing in the unseen God. And so that night, the final plague, the firstborn of every family, and even of the livestock were taken by the angel of death, including Pharaoh's only son. And some of you look at that and go, how could God do that? How is that any different from what Pharaoh did with little baby boys? And I want to just ask you for a moment, because sometimes we think that God extracts something on somebody else that he's not willing to go through himself. But I want you to grab this idea. Listen, he who would not withhold his one and only son for you and for me. He who became the final sacrifice so that we don't have to kill animals anymore. Jesus Christ, God become flesh, the son of God, the one and only. God did not from you. He didn't withhold even his one and only son for you. He loves you that much. He's not asking of them something he wasn't willing to go through himself. And so Jesus, on the night that he was going to celebrate Passover, changed that sacrament under the new covenant in the New Testament. What does that mean? Well, what it means for us is that he has instructed us to do two sacraments. We live in right near Sacramento. Well, that comes from the word sacrament. It's from the Catholic background of the monasteries here in California. But what happens is this. There are two sacraments that are given to those who put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. The first is that you believe, then you're baptized. That we're believed, then we willingly, as a believer's baptism, not the choice of somebody else, but our own choice, I will choose to make a public declaration that I belong to 
Christ and that I'm going to be represented going under the water, that I'm dead like Jesus was. I'm buried, but I raise to new life. I associate with the life, the death, the resurrection of the risen Lord, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That's what it publicly proclaims, even though it might be disgraceful for some for you to publicly proclaim that. Baptism. And the other one is what Jesus changed the Passover meal to mean that night, to communion. That there was a very real body, his body, that was going to be offered up. That there was real blood that was poured out for you and I so that we could have the forgiveness of sins. And we're going to remember that. We're going to keep practicing that sacrament until Jesus comes back. So we do it here as a church, the first Sunday of the month, every month. And we'll keep doing that until Jesus comes back or you die and go home to be with him. Hebrews 13 verse 11 says this. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. What's he saying? When they made sacrifice in the Old Testament, what would happen, and in the early New Testament, they would kill the lamb or the, the spotless lamb outside the camp, and they'd have a barbecue out there, but they'd take the blood. They wouldn't take the body of the lamb. They'd take the blood inside to the holy of holies. He goes on and says this, and so Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make people holy through his own blood, let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. So the author of Hebrews is writing to New Testament believers saying, Jesus suffered outside the camp, so let's not get so attached to this city. Let's bear the disgrace because we're looking forward to our reward through the blood of Jesus. And no more sacrifices are needed in that way. Isn't that good news? So we celebrate baptism. We celebrate communion. And last, by faith you can follow God's lead into the waters of your impossible situation. Because by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. And maybe you remember back that as the Hebrew people fled, they got backed up against the Red Sea. The trail ended. They were, it stopped right there at the sea. And Pharaoh and all his armies were pursuing them from behind. They were boxed in. They were outflanked. They had nowhere to go. And here the wrath of Pharaoh and his armies are coming down. And God told Moses, stick your staff in the water. And he said, your staff in the water. And the Red Sea parted. And these massive walls of water are on either side. But right in the middle was a dry road. And all the Hebrew people went through the middle of that dry road with these walls that at any time could fall. They're cold, they're wet, they could fall in and collapse and crush the people of God, but they stayed up and they made it through to dry ground, but when Pharaoh and his armies pursued them right in the middle of that, those walls fell down and they were crushed by it, those who did not live by faith. Listen, by faith you can follow God's lead into the waters of your impossible situation. What's your impossible situation? Maybe for some of you, by faith, you can walk into recovery from alcohol or substance abuse and addiction and dependence. Maybe for others, by faith, you can honor God with the first of your income and successfully climb out of debt at the same time. But you can honor God and then work your way out of debt at the same time. By faith, you can keep your baby or you can give it up for adoption. And listen, by faith, you can survive the pain of giving your child back to God. We say that truth so often, right? Parents shouldn't outlive their kids. 
And yet just in the first month of this year, there's two families right in this church that had to relinquish their adult children back to God. On the first day of the year, New Year's Day, we're in the hospital. We're weeping, we're crying, we're hugging. It doesn't make any sense. God, why would you do this? Why would you take that this parent is having to relinquish their son? God, why would you do that? Listen, by faith, you're going to make it. There are people who have to walk through that decision, and it's brutal. And without faith, those walls of the sea are going to fall in and crush on them, and they've got nothing to stand on, but by faith, you can stand. That you're going to get through it. That you're looking ahead to your reward, and part of the reward is not only Jesus, but part of the reward is when your child has given their life to Jesus, there is a reunion by faith after death. And you're going to get through it, but it doesn't mean we won't feel the cold walls on either side. It doesn't mean that we look up and say we fear it and it's this impossible situation. Grief is brutal, and yet you're going to make it by faith. You're going to make it through. And God's going to wade in there with you. And he's going to carry you until you can't see the end of the tunnel. And he'll carry you until you experience it yourself. Listen, when you live by faith, you can wade into the waters of your impossible situation. And you'll watch God begin to open things that you couldn't see otherwise. On your outline, which of the statements above, the six outline points, at the bottom of your outline it says, which... Statement above, is God calling me to apply right now in my life? So which one? Why don't you write it down just by a way of commitment that God's Holy Spirit made one of these stand out to you in a unique way today. This year we need to grow in faith as a church and to hear God, to know him and to please him. And we're going to do it as we live by faith. But it starts with you giving your life to Christ. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life. If today you would say, I've never given my faith to Jesus' death on the cross as the way that I'm forgiven for my sin, that God's wrath would pass over me because it was put on Jesus. And if I give faith to that, then God washes me as white as snow. He forgives me of my sin. He makes me new. And if that's you today, then you pray a prayer right where you're seated like this to say, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you rose from the grave, that you are God. And I ask you to wash me as white as snow. Adopt me into your forever family. Make me a new creation on the inside. Because today, Jesus, I give you me. And right now, if you prayed that prayer, will you raise your hand anywhere around the room that today was the day you decided that all the way in the back, greatest decision you could ever make. Anywhere else, just hold your hand up. You might be in the loft, and my friends will see you up there. Right here in the middle, you two, greatest decisions you can make. Lord, let me just pray right now for my brothers and sisters, too, as they make decisions to walk by faith that they wrote down on the bottom of their outline. God, would you give them strength? God, would you give them eyes that look back and see what they cannot see right now? God, we trust ourselves to you. We love you. In Jesus' name and by faith, we said, amen. We give it up for what God's doing in and among us. That's good stuff. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, 
visit our website at sungrove.org.